What we said last week, this is a series that's going to come from the book of Ecclesiastes. That's in your Old Testament, uh, chapter 3, just a few verses. We'll look at them in just a bit. And they come from Solomon, who was considered the wisest man that ever lived on the earth. He was a great king of Israel, and God gave him a special wisdom gift. And he deals a lot with wisdom and foolishness. He contrasts those a lot. He wrote the book of Proverbs in the Bible, as well as the book of Ecclesiastes. And so what we're looking at is that God has instituted certain cycles in life. We are to use our time, the time that we have, to become wise. That's God's intention. And he's instituted certain cycles, certain realities, that if we become aware of them and appropriately adjust to them, we're not only wise, but we benefit from them. And, and so each week, we'll go back to this slide that I put up there for you last week. The cycles that we'll see is first awareness. God wants us to become aware of the times and the seasons, the cycles, the realities. But then just being aware is not sufficient. We have to follow up by taking appropriate action. Whatever, whatever the season, whatever the particular time calls for, we have to be quick to take action, to invest uh, intensively and that brings us increasingly to a state of wisdom. Now, as we do this, something else is going on. And that's these things. This catalyzes dormant developmental capacities. Way back at the beginning, it says that God made man in his own image. Now, we broke trust with God early on, you know, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And so that image of God that we were meant to be bearers of has now become a little bit shuffled around and distorted but as we become aware of these cycles in life, and then we take the appropriate action, we become wise, but it also awakens capacities inside of us, these capacities to become like God. We were made by Christ, the scripture says, and for Christ, and each part of our lives is meant to be a growing developmental journey bringing us to a place where we wear the image of God. In other words, you become, the purpose of your life is that you become, I become a Christ-like you, a Christ-like me. By doing the things that God created me to do, and then I become who God created me to become. So, these cycles are very, very valuable when we understand them and to take the appropriate action. Frankly, we, we tend to benefit. We get results out of life instead of consequences. If we ignore them, inevitably, we cheat ourselves, we cheat the world around us because we never develop the way that God intended us to be, and we, we tend to get more consequences instead of results out of life, and often we don't even know why. We're, we're just in a state of confusion. Now, I'm going to put something on the board in a minute, that's, it's a, or on the screens, a, a set of traits, and I want you to think about these, these traits, these, these human characteristics. Let's go to that. Would you consider... These personally desirable traits. In other words, would you like to have these traits, these characteristics for your own? And here they are. Faithfulness. Would, would you like to be more faithful, known as a faithful person? Consistency. Would you like to be more consistent? Discipline. Would you like to be a more disciplined person? Humility. Would you like to be a more humble person? Patience, would you like to be more patient? You can see where I'm going with this. Persistence, resilience, would you like to be a more resilient person? You can roll with the, the stormy things in life. What about pacing and rhythm? One of the secrets 
to living well, to becoming who God intended us to become and doing what he intended us to do, we have to learn that life has rhythms and we have to learn to pace ourselves. There is a time to sprint and to go hard and intense. There is a time to replenish ourselves and learning these rhythms really important. It's wise. Appropriate prioritization, making sure that the things that really are eternally important are important in the way that we're scheduling and investing our time and our lives. How about endurance? The ability to stay strong in the most difficult of circumstances when there's an issue of righteousness at stake. To be wise and to have a growing faith. In other words, we may have already returned to Christ our Creator in trust. We've put our trust in Him. We've become His follower. But you know and I know that trust in Him, it can grow. The more we actually know Him, the more experiences we have with Him, the more we incorporate his word into our lives and live it out we gain experience and our trust in him can grow wouldn't it be great to have a growing trust in christ so now i'm going to assume that most of us would love to have those traits in our lives and to have those growing you know getting stronger and stronger and so the question comes how does that happen I mean, is it enough that we just look at them on a screen like this and we say, yeah, man, I'd like to be like that. Uh, who wouldn't? Um, how, do we, how do we get there? Does it just happen by accident? Is it perhaps that some people are just kind of born with it and others are not? You know, like some people are just born patient and others are not. Some people are just born faithful and others are not. Is that it? Uh, is it? Is it maybe that we could pray and that would be sufficient that these traits would start to develop in us? Would, would that be enough? Let, let, me, let me ask a, a, another question. Does God do anything whatsoever to help these traits actually develop in each and every human being? You say, Randy, what, what do you mean? I mean, you, you know, unless a person's returned to God by putting their faith in Christ and becoming his follower, God can't really work in them. No, 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 I want to I stretch this out a bit. Is it possible, is it possible that God actually is working, has, doing, has done some things, is doing some things to help every single human being on the planet be much more likely to develop these traits, even the faith one, even to come to the point where they awaken to the fact that man can't live without God, not really, not fully. So I want you to take these thoughts and just kind of tuck them away. I promise you we're going to revisit this and we're going to unpack it thoroughly. But let's just think about these traits a little bit. And now let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes and we're going to look at our cycles that Solomon lists out. And we're going to go back to Ecclesiastes 3, which is 741. We won't read all the cycles. There's 14 in the eight verses, and we're only going to look at a few. But let's go to 741, and at least I'll be on the same page reading together. And in chapter 3, verse 1, Solomon starts. He says, for everything, there's an appointed time. God wants us to learn. There's timing in life. It's critical. He, he has given us the ability to learn it, and he wants us to learn it. For everything, there's an appointed time and an appropriate time for every activity on earth. A time to be born and a time to die. We looked at that last week. We said if you don't look at the end and the beginning, you will never live wisely. A time to plant and a time to uproot what was planted. 
And that's where we'll just stop today because that's actually where our message comes from. So a time to plant and a time to uproot what was planted. We want to start by just examining this cycle. This is a cycle. This is a routine that God has built into the life experiences of human beings. We don't have any choice about it. When you think about it, it's a fascinating experience that human beings learn along the way you can find certain seeds and you can take these seeds and if you plant them in the ground at the right time, something magical happens underneath the ground. First of all, there's life in these seeds. Where does that life come from? There's life all over the planet. Where does it come from? All life is pointing to a creator who is full of life. But you take the seed and you put it in the ground and, and it's just, it's mind-boggling when you think about it. It somehow breaks apart and all of a sudden out of it comes life, something very different and it, it flourishes, it grows and it turns into something that can uh, be eaten and really be beneficial to many, many people. And you usually get a lot more back than what you plant in. There's this cycle. And we recognize that certain crops require you plant them you let them grow, you nurture them, you harvest them, and then literally you have to uproot them. You have to cleanse the soil, as it were, so that it's prepared so that you're going to next season, at the appropriate time, do the very same thing over again. Now, this is a cycle that's fascinating, but let's be honest, it, it involves a lot of hard work. It involves routine. It involves endless repetition wouldn't it be cool if you just went and you just planted some corn one time and that's it it just grew on its own forever how many would like that you'll like this better wouldn't it be cool if you could just clean your house one time <laughs> right one time the stories are going through your head you know i clean this house and no sooner do i get it clean it's all torn up again how many know that song it's a song it is sung frequently. <laughs> but it is, it's frustrating. I mean, why? Why does God institute these cycles that require drudgery, hard work, repetition, futility? Because you grow it and then you have to uproot it and you have to start all over again. It's never enough. It doesn't go on its own. Now, I know some of you are thinking, about, yeah, man, there's perennials. Don't think about the perennials because there's a lot of things that are not perennial. <laughs> let, let me just get you thinking a little bit. Is it perennial relationally? You know, you tell, you tell your spouse when you marry them, I love you, but never tell them again. Is that enough? Is that going to work? No. Some things require... Repetition, nurture, again and again and again. Now, I'm going to assume, and this is, this is a big assumption, but probably it's right, that some of us at times have felt like we have to do certain things in life that are just so monotonous and, and just difficult, unpleasant tasks. Uh, we, we might say, this is just drudgery, having to do this stuff and to do it again and again and again. Some of us might even feel like, you know, all I do is I just, I just shuffle through life. I mean, okay, I get up in the morning, I eat, I go to work, I work all day, I do a lot of drudgery type of tasks there, things that I don't fully enjoy, and then I come home, I eat, I rest just a little bit, and I sleep, and I just start the whole thing again. We feel sometimes, maybe we even verbalize it, that we're just kind of like, 
shuffling through life. We're kind of like a gerbil on that treadmill. Just you eat, you sleep, you work, you come home, you eat, you sleep, you start over again. It's just over and over and over. And some of us, we probably say, this is just drudgery. This, this is just futile. It never ends. I'm just working my life away or sleeping my life away or whatever it might be. You may feel particularly this way about some particular job in your life, some particular task that requires repetition. Kind of put that in your mind, whatever it might, might be. In fact, some of you, I would dare think, even today, you have what might be called genuine hatred for some task. You have dread for some task. In fact, you may have dread for what is the way you earn your living. I'm just curious. How many want a, a moment of honesty? You just want to vent. You hate your job. Can I see your hands? Let me just see. God bless you honest people. <laughs> the rest of you, you probably hate yours too, but you didn't want to put your hand up. What if? What if God had a secret that he wanted you and I to discover, and he put the secret in plain sight. It was hidden, as it were, in plain sight. And when you get the secret, when you, when you really get it, it can change that drudgery. It can change that hate. I'm not saying that your, your job is going to be any easier, your boss is going to be any better. I'm not saying that you're going to some, someday just be whistling as you clean your commode at home or something like that. <laughs> But I'm telling you, there, there, there's something here. There's a secret. It's hidden in plain sight. God wants us to discover it. And when we do, it has transforming power so that as we shuffle through life, we don't shuffle with that, that heavy dread. Some of you you, you, you dread the thought of Monday morning. I know it. It's, it's not an uncommon thing. Um, there's a secret you'll, you'll find today. It'll be available to you. It's from God. It's hidden in plain sight that could transform that, that you would never have to ever, ever feel that again. So let's probe this a little further. Let's look at a verse that just kind of reiterates this cycle of planting and uprooting. In the New Testament book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul writing to followers of Christ living in the city of Galatia, he says, Do not be deceived. God will not be made a fool, for a person will reap what he sows. Now, we kind of know this, you know. You plant corn in the ground, you're not going to get grapes or strawberries. You're, you're going you're to get back what you sow. But so it is in life. And this is something that is a little harder to discern and apply. We have a good example with uh, an experience that Jeff Bridges has. A 2016 Rolling Stone reporter asked him, said, was there, any, was there ever some advice that you so wish you would have received when you were 20? And here was his response. Or what advice do you wish you would have received at age 20? And Jeff Bridges honestly said, I got the advice. I just didn't take it. My dad would say, it's all about, what is the word? Habit, Jeff. You got to get into good habits. And I said, no, dad, you got to live each moment. Live it as the first one and be fresh. And he says, that's a wonderful thought. But that's not what we are. We are habitual creatures. It's about developing these grooves. And then Bridges acknowledges, as I age, I can see his point. 
What you practice, that's what you, what does it say? Do you believe that? Because it's saying you reap what you sow. What we invest our time and our attention in, what we pursue, what we immerse ourselves in, we're going to get the product of that. Do we believe that we become what we habitually think about, care about, pursue, actively get involved with? It's an interesting question. Reaping and sowing is something we kind of know, but it's in all honesty something, don't you agree, hard to do? Even when you know? I mean, that, that seems to be where the breakdown comes. Even though we know investing to cultivate a certain lifestyle is productive, and, and when we don't, we get consequences instead of results. It's, it's the actual investment. It's the cycle. It's the repetition. It's, it's doing it today and tomorrow and next week and next month and next decade. Listen to this proverb. It doesn't say anything that we don't already know. It says, the one who sows iniquity will reap trouble, reaping what you sow. You, you throw yourself into a bunch of things that are not God's will. You're going to reap consequences in life. It's inevitable. But the one who sows righteousness, in other words, I find out what God says is the right way to live, the way he designed human beings to live, and I order my life according to that, I reap a genuine reward. I reap it in this life, and I reap it in the life to come. We kind of know these things. You reap what you sow. Time to plant. You've got to plant the right things at the right time, the right way. Time to uproot. We sort of know it. But I don't know. I've been around a long time, and, and I look at my own life. It's harder than it looks. So let's ask a few questions. What is it that keeps us from applying, even after we've examined this cycle, this planting and and reaping and, and uprooting and all, what is it that keeps us from it? Well, here's a study that might be something we can all identify with. Research studies on procrastination. About 15 to 20% of adults are regular procrastinators. I frankly think that's amazingly low. Uh, <laughs> about 80 to 95% of college students are considered procrastinators. That one I believe. <laughs> the vast majority of procrastinators, 95%, want to end their habit. I believe that. I don't think anybody wants to be a procrastinator, but can't. What do you mean can't? One psychologist said, habits become non-conscious brain processes. When procrastination becomes chronic, a person is essentially running on autopilot. I'm not trying to make anybody mad at me, but, but I, I've watched for years and years, you know, people's habits. And one of the things, you know, like I stand over there before I come up on stage, and, and, and you, you over there in that section, you're all going to probably hate me after this, but um, we, have, we have certain people just like clockwork. I know, you're a third song person. <laughs> you're a second song person. You're the song sets over person, you know. And, and you can watch, and I've watched people sometimes for decades have these habits. Now, if you were to ask him, hey, wouldn't you like to get there on time? Of course. Of course. That's the intention. But procrastinating seeps deep into our souls. It becomes habitual. It actually, uh, you know, puts neural uh, pathways in our brains that just kind of support the bad habit. And we just do it automatically. We, we leave the house at the wrong time. I mean, really, it's a matter of five or ten minutes to get here when the service starts. But some people will come ten minutes late, 15 minutes late, 
I'm telling you, it goes on for, in some cases, decades. It's, it's remarkable to watch. Some people have the same habit at work. Some people, you know them. You may, might be one. You're just almost late for everything you ever go to, or you are late, and you, you, you have a list of excuses. You know, it's like those codes on the NFL players they keep on their wrist. You, you've got a million of them, you know, for why you're late. So, so sometimes, even if we know the cycle of planting and reaping and uprooting, we're procrastinators, and that, that stops us from experiencing what God intends us to experience. Sometimes there's another problem. We have this as a common problem in the United States. In the United States alone, containment costs of invasive species are estimated at $138 billion every single year. Invasive species. What do you mean? Let me give you a couple examples. Invasive species. In 1884, a farmer visiting the Cotton States Exposition in Louisiana brought back a few Venezuelan water hyacinths to decorate the fountain inside his home in Florida. Today, the aggressive purple flowers choke 126,000 acres of waterways. It was just meant to be a cool decoration, but it just grows out of control and it takes things over. How about another? Uh, Kutsu is a Japanese vine imported in 1876 to prevent erosion. It is currently spreading throughout the southern U.S. and expanding at a rate of 150, I've seen this stuff, 150,000 acres a year, choking out everything. One last one. This is creepy. A sea lamprey, a parasitic fish. The invasion of the 1920s and 30s devastated the Great Lakes trout catch by 98%. By the early 1960s, these things just worked their way in and destroyed. Now you say, Randy, what, what has that got to do with me learning this principle of planting the right things, nurturing, harvesting, uprooting, starting over again? Well, Scripture's pretty clear when it comes to the garden or the, the land of our soul and the cultivation and planting the right things and seeing the right things grow, uh, that we are called upon to rid ourselves of some things, invasive species. And if we don't rid ourselves of the invasive species, all those traits that we looked at at the beginning, they, they never grow. Let, let me show you a couple of verses. In the New Testament book of Colossians, Paul writing to followers of Christ in Colossae, he says, put to death whatever in your nature belongs to the earth, sexual immorality, impurity, shameful passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. He goes on in verse 8, but now put off all such things as anger, rage, malice. That's, that's ill will. You want to see bad things happen to people. Slander, always knocking somebody, always tearing somebody down. Abusive language from your mouth. Now, please, keep those up there for a minute. As you look at that list, what God wants you and I to do is look at ourselves and say, do I have any of these invasive species lingering in my soul? Because I'm going to tell you something. They don't stay small. They grow. They choke the life of the Spirit. They keep us from developing and growing. So that regardless of what we plant, even if we're planting the right things, it never gets to grow and develop the way it's meant to because we haven't dealt with notice that we're the ones that have the responsibility to do this surely God's going to help us but he calls me and you to take action I'm the one that has to put this to death I'm the one that has to rid myself 
of all such things. So invasive species sometimes throw us off in this cycle, even though we may know the reaping and sowing. There's one last illustration that I think we have to contemplate and why we, even when we know that there's a time to plant and a time to reap and so on, we, we still may not do well with it. There's a study done by a guy named David Brooks. He wrote a book called The Social Animal and uh, his insights are really interesting. He summarizes vast amounts of social science research by stating that information programs alone are not very effective in changing behavior. He goes on, the evidence suggests reason, my reason, in other words, you can convince me that I should change in an area, and I want to, and will, so there's the I want to, the evidence suggests that reason and will are like muscles, and not particularly powerful muscles. In some cases, and in the right circumstances, they can resist temptation and control the impulses, but in many cases, they're too weak to impose self-discipline by themselves. Let me say it differently. Many of us, if not all of us, have experienced. We know there's something we want to do or don't want to do. But we find that the thing we want to do, we don't seem to have the strength of will to do or to keep on doing. And we find we don't have the strength of will to stop doing the thing that we actually, in our minds, want to stop doing. I'm not going to ask you how many of you experienced that because I know it's pretty common. So here's where the problem comes in. So we may know that God's got this cycle, and if we can plant the right things at the right time, we can get a harvest that's going to be beneficial to us, beneficial to those that are around us. We have to repeat it. We have to maintain it. You have to get at it again and again. But because we have a problem with procrastination, because we have a problem with allowing things to crowd out the right things in our life, invasive species, and because we simply seem to lack the strength, the willpower. Again, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot in here, but I know that I know that I know that some of us, we have wanted for so long to rid ourselves of something that we know is destructive, but we haven't succeeded. We knew for so long that we wanted to cultivate, include something, some new habit, some new virtue in our lives, but we haven't been able to stick with it. And so, how do we ever get to the place that knowing this cycle, that we can actually do something about it? We, we can follow through. We can take advantage of it. We can learn the lessons God wants us to learn. We can acquire the wisdom. We can receive the benefit. What, what has to happen? Now, strangely enough, the secret may be in a peculiar race that is held in eastern Tennessee uh, called the Barkley Marathon. If I could just get that up there. The Barkley Marathon is very unique. In 30 years, only 14 people out of 1,100 runners have completed the race. Just keep that slide for a minute. I want you to contemplate that. People come to this thing for 30 years. These are the elite people from all over the world to participate in this. This thing is 100 miles around. You go 20-mile laps, 5 20-mile laps around the eastern Tennessee mountains. You get a map. There's no rescue stations. There's nobody to help you out there, and that's pretty much all you get. And it is brutal, brutal terrain. The best elite people come to this thing, and only 14 out of 1,100 
I've ever passed it. Let me go to the next slide. Nikki Wren, 40-year-old Australian, competed, or excuse me, completed one and a half out of the five 20-mile laps around this mountain to, to get to the top. And here's her words. You don't come here to be victorious. Well, why do you come then, Vicky uh, or Nikki? <laughs> you come here to be what? What is the word? Humiliated. It's lonely out there. It's eerie. You have to be comfortable being inside your own head. Everyone comes back pretty. And then the operative word, what? Broken. Two operative words there. Humiliated and broken. Well, this just sounds like masochism. I mean, who wants to be humiliated and broken? Unless, unless there's something, something that being humiliated or humble and being broken releases inside of us that positions us to acquire things from God that He wants us to acquire that we cannot receive from Him until we are sufficiently humble and broken. These cycles. We said earlier that some of us feel like we're shuffling through life, you know, just on this, this treadmill of drudgery. You know, we work, we eat, we sleep, we start over again. And we have things that we dread. We have tasks. We have situations. We, we dread them. We actually probably hate them. But what if we're missing it? What if God's biggest secret is hidden in plain sight? And the secret is that some of these cycles, you've got to plant it. You've got to watch over it. You've got to reap it. Then you've got to uproot it. And you've got to start all over again. Hard work, drudgery, dirty, humbling. You got to get that humbling kind of breaks you down. You got to kind of submit to the season. You got to kind of submit to the land. What if instead of going into the drudgery type of environments we had with a, with a hostile attitude, for want of a better word, what if we went in there knowing this is the way that God is going to penetrate the deepest recesses of my soul he has put these cycles in place these humiliating cycles these cycles that demand repetition they never end you have to do them over and over they're not pleasant tasks they're kind of dirty they're kind of humbling you have to just keep at it again and again what if they are meant to wear us down break us down humble us and that's the gift that's the secret that opens the door that floods our soul or puts our soul in a condition where all of God's strongest graces can flood into our soul and then we can do the things, the very same things, with a whole different attitude. I said earlier, I said for some of you, this could be the end of you feeling like some cycle in your life of planting and reaping and uprooting, some cycle that you, you hate it, you think it's just drudgery, if you'll receive this from God and let it humiliate you, yes, let it break you down, but don't despise it, don't hate it. Look at it, you got to get this part, folks. Look at it as a redemptive cycle 
that God has planted in our world, in our lives, so that we can finally get our souls in a condition where they are broken up like soil, they can be receptive to His grace, where we want the right things and we want them badly enough that we can actually receive them. There's a very peculiar verse in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 20. I guarantee you most people that read it, even most commentaries that I've ever read, I don't think they really get what it's saying. Uh, I hope I have it up here. Let's see. Romans 8.20. Did did we get that, Kelly, or we never got that? It was supposed to, or or maybe I didn't send that to you guys. Maybe that was in my head, but it never got back to you. I tell you what I can do. I happen to have it in this wonderful book. It's called the Bible. You should read it sometime. (laughs) Let me read to you Romans 8.20. It's such a peculiar verse. I remember now, I did not give it to you guys. Don't feel bad back there. It says, for the creation was subjected to futility. That just sounds weird. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of God. In other words, God subjected creation to a futile cycle. You plant it, and you dig it up, and you plant it, and you dig it up. It goes on to say, who subjected it? God subjected it in hope. Now, again, it's such an odd verse. What is it talking about? He created these cycles of futility, knowing it's going to wear us down, break us down, um, make us angry and everything else. Just just endless struggle, shuffling through life, doing the same things again and again and again. But it said he did it in hope. In hope of what? Genesis chapter 3. Remember, the first human couple, they break trust with God. And God comes to them. And first of all, he, he puts some clothing on them and, and kind of tries to restore them the best he can. But then he gives some really bad news. He says, Eve, from now on, when you have children, it's gonna, you know, you're going to really feel some, some ouchies. It's not going to be fun anymore. They hadn't had children at that point. Then he says something to Adam. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 and 19. In verse 17, he says, Adam, oh, buddy, the ground is going to be your curse from now on. It is not going to be easy to get things to grow anymore. Garden of Eden, you didn't have to do nothing. It was there, man. Everything just grew. It just took care of itself. You didn't have to do anything. And then he says in verse 19, he says, and by the way, Adam, making a living from now on, you're going to make it, old buddy, by the sweat of your brow. Cycles, subjecting creation to cycles of futility. Making things hard. Let me make it plain. Why? Why would God do this? Why would he make it hard? What if the most important lesson that every human being has to learn in this life is that man cannot live without his creator? We can, because God is so generous and kind, we can get the feeling sometimes that we really don't need him. He's given us generously so much, we we can go through life feeling, it doesn't matter if he's there or not, because he allows us to use his stuff, and a lot of it is just there. But, But we could miss the most important lesson in life of all. I really, really need a trusting, intimate relationship with my creator. That's who I am. That's what I was created for. I'll never be fully human. I'll never be fully alive without that. I'll never be fully fulfilled, satisfied. I will not have a meaningful life, a purposeful life. I will settle for far less than the best. And so whatever awakens me to my need of God is good. 
subjected things to cycles of futility. Well, well, the next thing that these things do is they, if we let them, instead of making us bitter, they can make us better if we let them break us. Yes, I said it. Let it break you. Let it humble you. Because every virtue that I listed on that screen in the beginning of the message, and every virtue that I'm going to read to you in a minute from the book of Galatians, every one of these virtues, these Christ-like characteristics, we have the capacity for them to develop and grow in us, but they will only grow in one kind of soil. I promise you, I've studied this stuff for 44 years. One kind of soil, one and only one soil, will any of the Christ-like characteristics grow in. And that's the soil of humility. And you would think as human beings, we would find humility easy. Let's face it, we can't control the next heartbeat, we can't control the next brain wave. We're very fragile. Uh, change of circumstance and we're out of control. We, we, we can't really do much to control our environment or our lives. You would think we would be very humble, but we're not. <laughs> we're not. I don't know why we're not, but we're not. And true humility usually requires, it certainly has in my life, it requires usually being humiliated. But that can be good. And these cycles have a way of humiliating us and breaking us down. You can't just plant any old time of the year you want. You must submit to the laws and plant at the certain season or it will not grow. You will not get the reward. You've got to get dirty. Do the hard work. You've got to repeat it again and again. These things are supposed to. They are God's redemptive gift to us. They are bringing things alive in our soul that will position us to find life as it was truly meant to be lived. So experiencing the cycle. First of all, let me give you a little summarization of what I was trying to say in this message. Embrace God's transformational cycles. That place where you're shuffling in drudgery, that's God's transformational cycle. We sometimes think that the only place you can get transformation or, or, or change, growth, is in a place like this. But oh, no, 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 no. God's bigger than that. He's at work. He's at home. He's everywhere. And he has these cycles in place. And they're usually unpleasant cycles that are meant to break us, meant to bring humility to us. And if we allow it and not be bitter, start thanking God for the cycles, well, they'll transform us. And those lists of characteristics that we saw at the beginning of the message, that we said we'd all like to have, they all grow out of that particular soil. Experiencing the cycle. Let's just quickly go through some verses. Galatians 6, once again, in a slightly different version. Don't be fooled. You cannot cheat God. People harvest only what they plant. If they plant to satisfy their sinful selves, their sinful selves will bring them to ruin. It's just a law. You reap what you sow. But if they plant to please the Spirit, meaning the Spirit of God... They will receive eternal life from the Spirit or the life that is eternal. We start experiencing the life that is eternal now, even in this life. Go to another one. Galatians 5. Here's what the product will be if we accept God's transformational cycles. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, produces in human life fruits such as these. What are these fruits that the Holy Spirit will bring to life in us? Well, we'll become more loving. We'll become more joyful. We'll have more peace. We'll become more patient. We'll become kinder. We'll be good and we'll love what's good. We'll become faithful. We'll become more gentle. 
and we'll have, what's the last one? Self-control. It's huge. It's huge. If we invest ourselves in cultivating a spiritual life, a God-centered life, a Christ-centered life, if we take advantage of the times and the seasons, I'm just, it's not an advertisement, but I'm just giving you an example. You know, we have a season in the fall where all our growth groups start. Those are good things to catalyze growth, but you don't have to start there. It's at your job. It's at that task that you hate. It's at that routine that you wish you could get out from under. Don't get out from under it. Learn to recognize the secret. It's been hidden in plain sight. It will do something in our souls that will then allow all these other positive virtues to develop. I love this next one from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. We're getting ready to land the plane. It says, now all discipline, it seems what? Painful. (laughs) All discipline seems painful at the time, not joyful. But later... You know, you're, you're getting dirty, you're planting, you're digging up the soil and dust blowing in your face and you're pulling weeds. Discipline, hard work, nasty stuff, futile stuff, painful. But later it produces the fruit of peace and righteousness for those who are, now this last part's critical, for those who are, what does it say? Trained by. Think of that cycle of drudgery that you're shuffling through, but maybe you hate it. Maybe you're bitter at it. Maybe you're angry at God about it. Because he's not getting you out of it. You're going to be locked into it maybe the rest of your life. That's not being trained by it. See, being trained by it means I'm receiving the discipline, though it's not joyful and painful, as God's redemptive loving gift to open up parts of my soul to be receptive to him and the working of his spirit that will absolutely bring these characteristics into my soul. I will become more faithful. I will become more resilient. I will have more peace. I will actually become more patient. And on I could go. That list that we started out with. But I have to start recognizing the cycle and not despising the cycle. But, but letting the cycle, get this, letting the cycle become a part of our worship. So the next time you're you're hating life at work (laughs) or somewhere or some work you're hating it stop and worship my god and my good i would have never chosen this you know me but i thank you for this and i welcome the work that it's doing in me i don't like the feel of it but i will not curse this cycle of your kindness and grace in my life again. The hard place that I'm in, I won't curse it. I'll kiss the hand of a loving father that's providing the strength in me to have the virtues in my life that I actually want to have, cannot have, cannot get without these cycles that are less than ideal and less than pleasant. Let me close with a story. Back in 1983, in Australia, they had what they called the ultramarathon race. And they have this pretty regularly. The the ultramarathon race, you start in Sydney and you run all the way to Melbourne. Okay? This is 573.7 miles. 500. We're not talking a marathon, 26.3. I guess that's right. We're talking 570. That is the ultramarathon. 573 miles. So 
it brings the elite runners from all over the world, people that are trained in long distance running and so forth and all. So back in 1983, this one guy shows up to sign up to be a participant in the race. He shows up wearing, you know, those farmer rubber boots up to his knees. It's no joke, true story. And he is 61 years old. And so the people at the booth thought it was a setup. They thought it was a joke. Uh, the guy's name was Cliff Young. And, uh, you know, they signed him up, but they were looking around. You know, they, they thought it was, you know, a big joke that somebody sent this guy. And so then as the race got ready to start, you know, everybody's in their elite gear and all like that. And then he's just, there he stood in these boots. And now he finally got out of the boots. But then when the race took off, People in the crowd, the story goes, were just laughing out loud even more. All the runners, they, they had a specific type of appropriate running gait. You know? And man, when, that, when the, the shot went off, they all took off. And they literally left this 61-year-old man predictably in the, in the dust, as it were. And so he, he's just shuffling. He's not really running like the rest of them. He, he's shuffling. And you can see this online, his shuffle. All right? Now, this is, this is not a short race, 573 miles. So the race requires days, you know, like, like lo a long period of time, maybe a, a, an entire week. Well, the first day, he was ridiculously behind all the rest of the runners, predictably. Something happened that night. That night, he caught up with them. And then he passed them. Never, ever did anyone come near catching up with this 61-year-old man who just kept, just kept shuffling again. He finished the race five days, 14 hours, four minutes. The person that came closest to him was nine hours and 56 minutes behind him, nearly 10 hours behind him. He set a record. Nobody has ever done anything like this. If I could get a picture back again. 61-year-old wins 573.7-mile ultramarathon, Cliff Young. Shuffling, not running. What was his secret? Well, the rest of the runners, they would run for 18 hours, and then they would sleep three, four hours, and then get up, get going again, eat, you know. Cliff didn't. Cliff ran the entire race, five days, 14 hours, four minutes. He ran the entire race never sleeping once. Eating, going to the bathroom, breaks for that, never sleeping once. How did he do that? He's 61 years old. How did he get there? Why the weird running thing? Well, the story goes this way. He grew up on a farm in Australia, a sheep farm, 2,000-acre farm, 2,000 head of sheep. And his dad would send him out to take care of things. And when the sheep would run off, true story, read about this guy on your own, he would chase these sheep without sleep two to three days at a time. And he learned, you just kind of shuffle after them, <laughs> keep them in view. <laughs> and he was used to doing this two or three days at a time. He did this all his life. This race to him wasn't a big deal. He had built character he had let the land in the sheep and the, the drudgery of taking care of sheep break him down keep him humble he didn't care about running in gum boots he didn't need any fancy running shoes but he had something that they didn't have 
Here's the message for us today. The cycles God has instituted in life, we cannot avoid them. We can hate them, and they can make us bitter and break us down in the wrong way. Or we can start to worship the God who created these cycles because they do break us. They do create humility if we allow it. That then allows us to receive the floodgates of God's transforming grace and we become these strangely beautiful people in this world where there are fewer and fewer people frankly worth looking at at all when it comes to character. I want you to want that badly and I want you to walk into your cycles in the future of drudgery kind of secretly whistling while you work, you know, kind of knowing I know what God's about, and this thing that I hate, that it's painful, it's doing something good in my soul, and it will become a part of my worship. I hope each and every one of us will take this gift from God to heart. Let it transform our experiences in our shuffling, drudgerous paths, but more importantly, let it it transform our souls. Don't leave here today staying the same person you were when you came in because none of us has to. That's God's gift to us today. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you that you have geared creation itself to make us aware how desperately we really need you. Please, Father, keep us from settling for any kind of life without Christ at the center without your word and your will governing us and guiding us and molding us and shaping us. And help us to to be an enlightened people, a wise people that see these cycles you've built for the good of our soul and to embrace them and worship you in them. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.